You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ladies and gentlemen, happy hump day and welcome to Locked On Seminoles. I'm your host, Max, and it is just me today. Drake is over at Locked On ACC, so if you miss his voice like I do, make sure you go check that out. They're doing all the hosts from various ACC programs or making appearances and co-hosting Locked On ACC, so go give that a listen as soon as you're done with this. But today is your normal programming from Locked On Seminoles. We come to you every day, five days a week. Filling that, that void that you have in your heart when you're not talking about the Florida State Seminoles. So I'm happy to provide that service. I'm even happier that you keep coming back and listening to us. If you like what we're doing, make sure you, you pause real quick. Go to the Apple iTunes store or the Spotify, I don't know what you call it, the catalog, or however you're listening to this. Here's with a five-star review and make sure you're following us. That way, new episodes, again, every day, Monday through Friday, pop up at the top of your Q or Newsfeed or again, whatever your specific platform calls it. I just watched the press conference in which the commissioners of the Big Ten, Kevin Warren, the ACC, Jim Phillips, and the Pac-12, George Kliak, they announced the new alliance. Now, there's been a lot of questions about what does that alliance mean? Is it just scheduling? Is there some kind of revenue sharing? What is the alliance? And I'm here to tell you, we don't know. Literally, we just saw a whole press conference about it, about 45 minutes of our day, and we know nothing, plain and simple. We don't know what they intend to do. We don't know how they intend to do it. And we don't know what the benefits are going to be. So let me tell you what we do know. After, again, 45 minutes with these folks, they already had their Zoom backgrounds up, which I thought was kind of cool. It's the uh, you know, ACC, Pac-12, Big Ten, combo Zoom background. They were all, all rocking that. And they talked about a few key themes. They all, they all talked about responding to uncertainty. They talked about NIL, legislation, you name it, right? Just the shifting landscape of college football. They want to make sure they are on the surest footing possible to handle those kinds of changes. Again, how are they going to do it? Very unclear. And I'll get to that in a moment. Another thing they touched on was shared values. You're going to hear this term a lot. They didn't say this directly. Well, they did. They actually counted in uh, the opening statements, which lasted about 15 minutes. They said academics seven times between the three commissioners. And I think that it's kind of a a hidden low-key jab at the SEC, right? They're saying, hey, we want a super conference that cares about more than just football. You guys can have your it just means more type deal. Now, academically, I think they've got a good leg to stand on. I know I'm a little biased having a degree from Florida State University, a top 20 public institution. Thank you to the leadership of John Thrasher. You look at these conferences, there's 41 teams between the new alliance and the average acceptance rate is 52%. You look at the SEC, it doesn't matter if you include Oklahoma and Texas or not. You still get to an average acceptance rate of 66%. 
So you can look at that one of two ways. You can look at, if you look at it from the perspective of the SEC, 66% down to 52, that's a 21% decrease, but in this context means 21% harder to get into an alliance school. Or if you look at it from 52% going to 66%, that would make it 26% harder. Either way, you're looking at about, you know, 20, 25% harder to get into an alliance school than it is to get into an SEC school. You're also looking at schools that, frankly, admittedly care a lot more about other sports than the SEC. I think the SEC cares if they're good at basketball in the sense that they'll acknowledge it's happening, but I don't think they care if they're not good at basketball. So I think that is the subtextual message that this press conference was intended to send. I think, and they were asked about it directly, is this a reaction to the SEC? They got a real beat around the Bush answer. But I think the message they are trying to send is, this is not purely a reaction to the SEC. This is not just us trying to follow the leader. This is a group of conferences with 41 teams that have a set of shared values that want to make sure that they are sharing those values and that the values are all shared. And now, is that what I think? Absolutely not. I think that this is 100% a way to respond to the SEC. In addition to shared values, they also talked about what sports they were going to use this for. And I was surprised. I, I was expecting them to talk mostly about football, but they hit basketball and they hit women's basketball. They also mentioned Olympic sports, but I want to touch on basketball for a moment because the commissioner of the Big, of the Big Ten, Kevin Warren, said something interesting. When he was asked about what the schedule would look like, he said, look, we're not trying to disrupt any current contracts. We're just trying to create unique opportunities. And that might mean mid-season tournaments, preseason scheduling, things like that. So with the basketball mentions, and he was the one that mentioned basketball the most, I think it's kind of a shot at the NCAA. And folks, you don't have to take my word for it, but I did political communications at the beginning of my career. And currently, as part of my day job, I do crisis communications and strategic communications. And these types of things are always littered with nuggets. All right. This is somewhere where someone has prepped him. The statement has been vetted and revetted and revetted, probably by people at their conference HQ, probably by outside consultants. So you kind of do have to hang on every word. So when they talk about basketball and then they mention tournaments down the road, I think they're letting the NCAA know, hey, your golden goose is the NCAA tournament at the end of the year. We may not have the power to disrupt that right now, but these kinds of alliances going forward might give us that power. So if you keep jerking our chain on things that we're telling you not to in the football world, we might come for that basketball money. This is no different than when someone decides to run for president and they form an exploratory committee. It's a way to both publicly announce that they're going to be running and a way to see, are we capable of doing this? They said they don't want to poach each other's members, things like that. I'm not saying it's going to be a 41-team mega conference, but I do think that this is going to be the first step in something, something bigger. And I'm also aware that it could be a big nothing burger. It could result in a few more out-of-conference games, a couple of preseason basketball tournaments, maybe even some preseason scrimmages and football that don't count. I don't know. So time will tell. But for now, rest assured, we don't have a 41-team mega conference. We have a bunch of shared values. We're going to focus on academics, and that's what we know. But regardless of when this alliance kicks in, we're going to have a football season this year, and I'm extremely excited about that. 
If you're excited about it, you're trying to get even more excited about it. You want to throw some action on some games as some of my co-hosts are known to do. I'm going to help you out and give you my betonline.ag week one line of the day. So I'm looking at Thursday because I want you to get there as soon as possible, but I don't trust any of the week zero games except the one Drake gave you yesterday. So I'm looking at Boise State Central Florida. It's a 7 p.m. matchup Thursday, September 2nd. You got Central Florida favored by five and a half points at home. And I think Boise State's going to smack them. I think that that five and a half points is a joke. I think Hank Bachmeyer was a junior now. I think he's going to have a great game. I think either way, it's going to be exciting. We should see a lot of fireworks and it should look like basketball on grass. But I'm taking Boise State plus five and a half. Might even hit him at the money line at plus 195. And that is your betonline.ag line of the day. Make sure you go sign up. Make sure you do uh, betonline.ag, make an account, promo code locked on to get your welcome bonus. So I asked some folks, hey, what do y'all want to know about? Drake gave me an interesting answer to talk to y'all about that I'm going to ignore. But I'm going to talk strategy today. One question I was asked was, look, we keep hearing about the two quarterbacks and we haven't really gotten into an analysis of what the offense looks like when those quarterbacks are each in. And if we had to go with one of two, what differences should we expect to see? I think it's a good question. I think we get caught up in who will be the quarterback, like Drake and I talked about yesterday. If you didn't get to hear that discussion, go, go listen to it after you're done with this. If you put in McKenzie Milton, you should expect more of what Mike Norvell did at Memphis. Where I get nervous is that if you have McKenzie Milton, you're throwing more, which means you're relying more on your receivers. Now, I like to get excited about this team, as y'all know from listening to this. I like to talk about the new talent we have at receiver, McLean, Burrell, Andrew Parchman even, although I, I'm a little skeptical on him. But the first two are young, and the other guy's a sixth-year grad transfer. So you really don't have anyone other than Keyshawn Helton that's proven that he can succeed in this uniform, in this conference, right? I think there'll be more frustrating moments with Milton because he'll be making a great read, making a good throw, and you'll probably see some drops or... You just might have guys not get open. I think with Travis, you're doing more of a constant run option attack. I almost think of it like a triple option, although that may not be the best way to phrase it. But what I mean is him running is always designed into the play somewhat. Even if it's not explicitly in the play, it's inherently in the play because when you design plays for him, you know that that's a possibility. So you might do more rollouts. You're always going to kind of do that RPO at the beginning because, again, you know he can take it off tackle if the defensive end bites. And you want to keep him out of those intermediate throws. I think with Travis, you're basically throwing short or you're throwing deep. I uh, haven't seen his arm much this year, so maybe he's improved there. But I think the screen game becomes really important. And that's where I get excited about how this offensive line and how these receivers block. I think you look at who you have, and we're adding Jordan Wilson to the mix. So now you've got a six blocker a third one on a side for these halfback screens, for these receiver tunnel screens, things like that. You also have Burrell, who I mentioned on the outside, looks like a linebacker. I imagine he's going to do quite a bit of blocking. I think you'll see a lot of attempts to get the ball out of Travis's hands quickly, but more behind the line. So just kind of bringing that together. I think with McKenzie, you look for more of a downfield passing attack and you look for him to move around, but run past the line of scrimmage a lot less. And I think with Travis, you see a lot more of the screen game. You see a lot more trying to get the ball out quickly, but get it out wide. And you see him using his legs a lot more. Do I think one strategy is better? 
I, you know, I don't know. I think when I look at it, like I said on yesterday's episode, this offensive line was a lot better statistically at run blocking last year than they were at pass blocking. So I, I think a run heavy offense could be more successful. You also look at your running back core and you've got three guys back there that you know can run the ball and Jay Sean Corbin and DJ Williams and in Lawrence Toafili, even though, you know, he hasn't really put on weight, but that's okay. And it's a, just a much more proven unit to put the game in the hands of than putting it in the hands of your wide receiving core and the pass blocking of your offensive line. But it remains to be seen. So that was a good question. I like talking a little bit of strategy and I can't wait to keep talking about it as we actually get to see this unfold on the field. But before I can keep talking, I got to settle what's in my stomach. I got to grab something to eat. And you know, there's only one thing I'm going to grab when I got the midday stomach grumbles, and that is a built bar. Come on, y'all. If you're not eating built bar yet. I got one question for you. Why not? Tell you about them all the time. Tons of protein, low carb. They're delicious. They're nutritious. And I even give you a promo code, LOCK15. That you can use at BuiltBar.com to get 15% off your order. So if you're not going to do it for me, do it for yourself. Go to BuiltBar.com, order it, and then you'll taste it and you'll go, man, there's no way this has 19 grams of protein, only 5 grams of sugar. And I'm going to be there for you on the next episode of Locked on Seminoles, reminding you about Built Bar again. You're going to hear it and you're going to go, wow, yes way. This does only have 5 grams of sugar and 5 grams of carbs with 18 grams of delicious protein. And you're going to say, thanks, Max. I'm glad I listened to you. Not for you, but for myself. I also got asked about the coaching staff. We talk about these players a lot, but we don't really dive into the coaching staff too much. And I think that's, that's natural because the players are the ones on the highlight tape. The players are the ones on the field. But I do think coaching is extremely important. I mean, how many teams do you see get turned around by... You know, one or two coaches coming in and they take a unit, they flip it. Next thing you know, the team has a much better year than the year before. I mean, it pains me to say this, but look at UF. Look at what Dan Mullen was able to do. I think the wheels are going to fall off there because he's a terrible recruiter. But I think what he's done is impressive. So when talking about the coaches, I think you can go one of a couple different ways. So I wanted to take a second and do kind of a quick audit a cursory audit, if you will, of the coaching staff from my own perspective. And then I want to talk a little bit about how I'm going to be judging two of my coaches to watch on game day. So the way I'm going to do this audit is I'm going to look at each coach quickly and say, okay, what's something about them that makes me optimistic? And what's something about them that makes me a little pessimistic? We're going to do kind of a speed round here. So lock in, let's do this. Mike Norvell, head coach. I think this one I could say 10 points for each. I mean, it's the great unknown. Mike Norvell is an incredible presenter. The guy knows how to speak coach speak more fluently than any coach has ever spoken it before. I mean, the guy is like freaking Shakespeare when it comes to weaving coaching analogies and metaphors together with cliches and telling you stuff that gets you frankly fired up to watch his football team play. The problem is we haven't seen it yet. Last year, we saw a three-win team. This year, we're hoping they're better, but we just don't know. The one thing that makes me really optimistic about him is what he's done on the recruiting trail. Look, we've got one of the top 10 recruiting classes in the country with the number one player in the country signed to us. Look at all the transfers we brought in. We brought in the most desirable transfers in the country. If you look at the, the class as a whole, we brought in guys from the SEC. We brought in McKenzie Milton. That makes me optimistic. And again, my pessimism is just 
I don't know and I don't have a proof of concept of him performing at this level. Which brings me to Kenny Dillingham. What makes me optimistic about Dillingham is his record. He's like 31, 32 years old. And you look at the work he did at Memphis under Mike Norvell, but then he left Norvell. This was my complaint about Willie and my complaint about Jimbo with guys like Charles Kelly. They brought along these legacy guys who they've kind of been with for so long, they weren't able to see past those guys' flaws. And we didn't know if those guys were any good outside of the umbrella of being with that head coach. That's not the case for Dillingham. He left Norvell and went to Auburn as quarterbacks and offensive coordinator. Sorry, I guess not quarterback coordinator. I guess the quarterback's coach. In 2019, Auburn was 9-3. and three. They beat number five Alabama by scoring 48 points. What makes me pessimistic about him is same with that Auburn. He's not a play caller. I don't know what his responsibilities are specifically, and that makes me a little bit nervous because then I, we can't really gauge his success or his stumbling because, again, we don't know which things he's mostly responsible for. So I guess that makes me a little nervous. I don't, I don't know. Adam Fuller, optimism. Uh, I mean, he seems like he'd be scary if, if he got mad at you. I don't know. Um, my biggest point of pessimism is last year. We all watched the season. We all saw how our defense looked. It didn't look good. I'll get to more on that in a second because he's one of my two coaches to watch. Uh, when I look at a couple of these guys, Papuchas, special teams was lights out last year, but can he replicate it or was that a lot of variance? Chris Thompson, man, that guy. I like that he's at the deputy head coach position and that he's also been a successful offensive line coach. That's where we've needed the most help. So I like having the tandem of him and Atkins, which brings me to Alex Atkins. There is so much optimism for this guy for me. I mean, you you take an offensive line that has been belligerently downtrodden kicked in the teeth over and over again, can't catch a break. And he's starting to turn around. And not just that, he's lighting up the recruiting trail. We've got, what, five or six offensive linemen committed right now? My pessimism with Atkins is really simple. I think he might leave. I don't really know if we can offer him enough money to stay. And I worry if Dillingham doesn't leave soon enough to get Atkins that offensive coordinator position does he move on for greener pastures to the SEC where they're going to throw a lot more money at him? And number two, is he going to fall victim to the Peter principle where he's incredibly good at offensive line coaching? He gets that offensive coordinator spot and either he's not quite suited for it or he's not quite suited for it under Norvell or even worse, he's great at that, but our offensive line isn't suited to not have him coaching them. And then that becomes a weakness again. He's too busy with obviously a, a larger breadth of responsibilities to focus on it the way he does now. Ron Dugans, wide receivers coach. Dude, we got to fix the drops. I'm pessimistic about that. Optimism, he's been around forever. Good recruiter. Marcus Woodson. Uh, oh man, that is our defensive backs coach. I have heard more good things about Marcus Woodson on the recruiting trail than I have anyone else. You talk about any big recruit we've landed, Marcus Woodson's name is pretty much always affiliated with them, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I am very high on his recruiting ability. And I really, really would hate to lose him. That being said, he's our defensive passing game coordinator. I don't know. I don't know how to split this responsibility between him and Marv. Like, part of me blames Marv that the linebackers can't cover, but Marcus Woodson's supposed to be the passing game guy. He needs to get on that. And if that requires pulling some linebackers off the field, doing more 5 DB, even 6 DB type looks to get his coverage in line because it's a skill issue with the backers. Well, that's what we're going to need to see. So I need to see better 
defense against the passing game and stop seeing guys get first downs like they're free cars on Oprah. Which brings me to Chris Marv. Chris Marv is my second coach to watch optimistically. Chris Marv has a great pedigree of play. played at Vanderbilt. He had some outrageous stats, making 121 tackles during his sophomore year. He was a four-time All-SEC linebacker, and he's one of the best players to really ever go through Vanderbilt. Now, does that translate to coaching? I'm not sure because we've seen him be successful coaching, right? We saw him at Mississippi State. We've also seen the linebackers at this school. And it's hard to know which one to blame, right? Is it that Marv is having trouble coaching these linebackers? Or is it that these linebackers aren't performing because of Marv's coaching? I think it's probably a talent issue. But if that's the issue, then you need to be recruiting. And he's not recruiting at the level we need it to. Chris Marv needs to be going out there and getting high-level blue-chip prospects or finding the Tamorian Terrys of the linebacker position. But it doesn't look like he's doing either of those things right now. we got to improve in one of two areas, either improve what's on the field or improve who's in the locker room to put on the field. So until I see one of those two things improve, Chris Marv is on my list of coaches to watch. And you may be asking, Max, what do you mean to watch? Well, I mean, if their position group isn't performing, watch for them to go on the hot seat. And you may be saying, Max, when we watch these games, how do we tell if it's the coach or the player's fault? I think it's two things. I think one, it's how many big plays does Notre Dame make based on player-specific mistakes? And two, how fast is the defense moving? I think number one is important because those you can't blame on the coaches. A coach can coach, but at the D1 level, playing for Florida State University, you got to know how to tackle, right? So if you see a lot of broken tackles, well, that I'm not blaming on the coaches. Now, if the linebacker is in a bad position because of how he was moved pre-snap and the guy hits a huge hole and the linebacker barely gets a hand on him and there's no one over the top to help, that's a different story. But in games like Louisville, where the defender just gets shook and then what's-his-name goes for 80 yards, you can't blame that on the coaches. I think when analyzing the game, you have to look at more where the guys were and not what they did. I know that sounds kind of stupid, maybe, for lack of a better word, but it's going to be an important way to judge this coaching staff. So I think ahead of time, I'm going to be watching that very closely with the linebackers. Linebackers miss tackles. It happens. But if these linebackers still look completely lost in coverage and they just look like they have no idea what's going on when a run breaks out other than run at the guy with the ball, I'm going to blame that one on coaching. If it looks like their bodies were in the right place and they just weren't executing the right way, well, I'm going to blame that one on them. The second thing I look at is what speed is the defense playing with? And this one comes down to Adam Fuller. The guys on the field aren't slow. We've seen their highlight tapes. We've seen how fast they can run. We've seen them in practice, yada, yada, yada. But then you look and you say, well, why is the team running like their feet are in molasses on game day? To me, that's not a skill issue. That's a lack of confidence in the system you're in. That's not understanding how to execute that system. And your, your brain is slowing your feet down. If it were up to these kids, they'd just be playing athletic football, running at the guy with the ball. It wouldn't be that successful, but they'd be doing it with speed. So when you see them moving slowly, to me, that says, okay, they're trying to over-process. They're having to think too hard through all the things they were given. And that's one of two things, again, either the coach not explaining it well or the coach making it too complicated. I'll admit, I've gone back and forth on this about a dozen times. I, I don't know with Adam Fuller which one it is. Uh, I've seen interviews with him. He seems like he probably can explain something. 
but he does get a little caught up in the words. And I, I can't imagine him being someone that simplifies things well. So it might be that, but it also might be that he just has a vision for an overly complex system. Either way, that's what I'm going to be looking at on game day is do the linebackers look like they know what they're doing and they have a plan? And if there are mistakes, is it just that the player didn't execute? And then I'll breathe a sigh of relief for Chris Marv. And does the defense move with the speed of which I know they are capable of moving? And if the answer to both those are no, I'm going to be talking about the hot seat. If the answer to both those are yes, well, I'm going to be talking about the next recruiting class and, you know, the new players we need to get in here. Hopefully the answer to both of them is yes, and there aren't player-made mistakes. We have a great game and we beat Notre Dame, but we'll talk about that in a later episode. Thanks for stopping by, y'all. I'm sorry I couldn't give you more clarity on the scheduling alliance, but again, it's basically a gentleman's agreement to do something at some point. I hope that y'all enjoyed the talk about the players and we got into the coaches a little bit. So it was good talking to y'all today. Go on the iTunes store, wherever you listen, give us that five-star review. Tell us why you love us. You already know why I love you because you listen to us every single day, Monday through Friday. I'm your host, Max, and this was Lockdown Seminoles. Oh, man. Oh, man.